Okay, we're in Psalms chapter 91 now as we go on to part number three. Here of our uh, study we've been doing here for these few days for Thanksgiving as we look at our personal relationship with God. And so uh, we're going to look at verses 2 and 3 here in chapter 91 of Psalms. He says, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress and my God. In Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. Well, let's have a word of prayer. Father, as we go into the Word tonight. I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to hearts. I pray that you would speak to people, whether they're here in this auditorium, watching by live stream, or uh, listening on radio. Lord, I just pray that your message would go and go beyond my, the ability or whatever I would have in my words to speak, that the Holy Spirit would teach, and just drive home a message to each and every heart that you would have them to hear to be applied to each and every life. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. All right, and uh, this morning, as we were looking there at verse 1, uh, really we had kind of as, uh, as the first point in verse 1, having the right person and in the right place. And of course, that right place, as we had read this morning, it was in the secret place. It was in the secret place with our Lord, where we meet with the Most High under the shadow of the Almighty. And so, that was our first point this morning. Satan and man, he will attack, but if we have the right relationship with God, who is the ever-present. Now think about this, God is ever-present. The psalm said in another place, if I make my bed in hell, thou art there. No matter where he would go, he could not hide from God. God, he is ever-present. He's the ever-present God. He's not only the ever-present God, he is the omniscient God. He knows everything. You have no secrets from God. You might be able to keep a secret from a spouse. You might be able to keep a secret from a close friend. But you cannot keep a secret from God. As a matter of fact, with God there is no secrets. He knows as it has actually happened. So, understand there is no whatever, there's no uh, thing that God doesn't know. He's omniscient, He's all-knowing. He's also omnipotent, all-powerful. Now understand, usually we put the word omnipotent, all-powerful, a lot of people think of all, all this great strength. And He has that. He has the strength. He has all might to do. But, when it talks about the idea of omnipotence, all-powerful, is talking about His authority and His sovereignty. Again, I know that there are those that try to teach a whole lot differently than what I'm saying to you, but I'm just trying to go by the Word of God. And there will be those that talk about the sovereignty of God, and it means all these other things. But actually, the sovereignty of God is simply this. Really, very simple. And yet, very deep. And that is, the sovereignty of God is God's right to do whatever He wants with that which is His. And 
everything is his. He is the creator of the heaven and the earth. And so that involves the sovereignty of God. And because he is sovereign, because he is the creator, he also has all authority over all. Men, Satan, never have victory over God. They're just very fortunate of the long-suffering of God. In Satan's case, he knows beyond any shadow of the doubt, hell was created for him and his angels, and they shall never, never, never escape that eternal condemnation. Never. So, he never fails at all. And so, I would say for verse 2, when you look at that, whereas we saw the right person and the right place, here we're seeing in our personal relationship with God that He is my personal God and Savior. Every believer can say that. He is my personal God and Savior. So we can trust Him at all times. At all times. Why? Jesus never fails. He never fails. And so that is our Savior. Satan's attacks can be very vicious, and we can be hurt by them, particularly when Satan uses good friends. Many times good friends have inflicted the evil of false accusation. Good friends have inflicted the abomination, we were sharing this with the deacons tonight, one of the abominations that would just lay right there on the same level as harlotry and other things that may be an abomination to God was scorners. Have you ever been around the person? Somebody gets up and sings and they're saying, <laughs> they're saying it again, oh my goodness. Oh, he's preaching that. Oh, he's going to say this. And, and, and they're scorning everything back there. Or they talk about this person. They talk, they're scorners. God calls that. That is abominable. That turns my stomach. And when it's a saved person doing that, the saved person many times as being a scorner doesn't realize that he is turning God's stomach or she is turning God's stomach, whichever it may be. A scorner is a filthy, sinful thing in the very sight of God. And so... So many times we say, well, I don't believe that. What? Your argument's not with me. It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. He that soweth discord among uh, brethren is an abomination. Now, we, that, that's very clear in the Bible. So if you have a problem with that, uh, it's not to say, I don't believe it. It's to say, Lord, I need to get it right. I've got to stop being a scorner. I've got to stop being this. I've got to stop being a, a false accuser. I've got to stop being one that's used by the devil to sow discord among God's people. And so that is one of the things that we're being told of here uh, in this Psalms. Now it's interesting because Psalms uh, 91 is called, again as I told you this morning, it, it, it is called a Messianic Psalm. And yet the things here apply for us as well. Yeah, we'll see things about Messiah in his time, about not dashing his uh, foot on a stone and so forth. But nonetheless, this psalm is for you and me as well. 
as his people. So don't, don't ever let people say, well, that doesn't apply to you. That just only applies to the Lord. No, we, we've got someone watching over us. My heavenly Father watches over me, as the song says. And so, yeah, Satan does like to use sometimes good friends, sometimes family, sometimes other things to try to bring hurt to your life. Just keep it in mind, as we said this morning, Romans 8, 28. All those bad things, you just stick with the Lord, you still walk with God, and you'll find that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Now, I left two words out of that before I said that verse, the first two words. We know, we know all things work together. You see, that's where the faith comes in. That's where, do those things hurt sometimes? Yes, they do. But we know, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and for those who are the cold according to His purpose. Now, a lot of bad things happen to people. A lot of things you can't understand why they happen. Why did this come into my life? I'm trying to serve God. I'm trying to live for Him. I'm trying to serve Him. Why would He allow this to happen? And if you've thought that, you're not the only one to have thought that. Others have as well. Let me take you to Hebrews chapter 11. Because I want you to see some people who endured the hard things of life. Hebrews chapter 11 is often referred to as the faith chapter. And certainly it is, and we often call it the hall of faith. Because these are people that endured, that proved themselves faithful and true in the greatest and mightiest trials perhaps of their lives. So listen. As I read verses 31 through 40 of Hebrews chapter 11, because in that chapter, we need to read it with keeping this very verse in our mind. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him will I trust. And that's key. Trust. Trust God. Yes, I'm going through this, but I'm going to trust God. Now think of people that had to do that because if God can accomplish this in others, He can accomplish it in you. The Lord is our refuge, my friend. He is our fortress. So uh, don't ever stray away from that protection from anything that He has for you. Don't stray away from it for that's when you are captured and enslaved to the sordid designings of Satan and the destruction that he will bring. So listen to this um, chapter here in verse, uh, chapter 11, beginning with verse 31. By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not, when she received the spies with peace. Now remember the stories, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. We, we remember that, you know, and, and that song stands out in our song, but he fought that battle. When they marched around the walls and the walls came tumbling down, as the song said, but it was Rahab that took those two spies 
and she hid them when they came looking for them. This lady's a harlot. I mean, people say, somebody walks in and everybody knows that she's a harlot, they're going to say, oh, oh. God saw that when he sent those two spies to her house, that she could be saved. Don't ever lose your vision for those that are in the wildest and the worst of what we consider the wildest and worst of sins, that they can't be saved. They can be. I still believe that the blood of Jesus Christ is greater than all the power of all sin combined. He can still save. And so don't, don't ever, ever, ever say, well, that person can't be saved. Not only did she get saved, but what about this? You go to Matthew chapter 1, and you'll see in the line that leads up to Mary and Joseph and Jesus Christ that she is in the line. She, they, they came from her. That's the progeny that leads up to Jesus Christ. Think of that. What the Lord did in the life of a harlot. He changed her. And he's still in that business today. When I think of specific people, I want you to listen to verse 32. And what shall we say more? For the time should fail me to tell of Gideon. Oh, Gideon, yes. They mentioned here before that. Rahab, but Gideon was the one that led that battle. But not that one, that was Joshua. Gideon, he fought, he trusted God. Whatever God said, that is what we do. And Gideon led the battles for the Lord. We think of Barak, and that's the next one, and Barak. <clears throat> His last name was not Obama at that time. Okay. <laughs> it was Barak. And he led those people to a victory. But I want you to know what it cost him. Now, it was his own doings that cost him, but it cost him something. At first he said, well, you know, going to fight this battle here? And Deborah said, well, this won't be to your glory, but you go and you do it. You're going to win. I'll go with you. If you want me to go, I'll go. But it won't be to your glory. And a woman will get the glory. And that's ended up what happened. But he still went and he fought the battle. He fought the battle. It was a woman that took a spike and, drew it through the, uh, and drove it through a general's mind that was asleep in her tent. But Barak was used of God. Of Samson. You know, it's a hard thing when we think of all the sin and all the evil of Samson. And yet, he's in the hall of faith. Because understand, all those acts of strength, all those acts of everything he did, he did by faith. When he died, He told that little guy, put him up where the pillars of this building are, and then he prayed to God. 
And then he bowed himself and pulled the building down. More died at his death than it had through his entire time. Now I think God could have done great mighty things through Samson besides that. But Samson had sin in his life. But guess what? God still used him because God doesn't give up. So often we as Christians have people that get to a point that we just give up on. Don't give up. Don't give up on them. Continue to pray. Keep them in your prayers. Always pray for them. But we not only have Samson, we have Jephthah. Oh, yeah, Jephthah had a price. He said, Lord, I will offer the first thing to you that comes from the front door of my house when I return. You give victory. And the first thing that came out of the door of his house was not a little lamb or sheep that he thought would be coming out or some kind of a, a little animal, but instead it was his daughter. She would never have children. His line would not be carried on. And that was a hard thing to face. But God answered his prayer and God used him. I think of David. I think of Samuel. Men who took stands when everything was against them and, and men were threatening their lives and they stood strong and true for the Lord. There's so much of the prophets, as it says there. And many of those prophets suffered for the cause of Christ. Who goes on, it says in verse 33, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, now, just think of that. He's talking about prophets, and it's including those prophets of, of the ages. But when we say stop the mouths of lions, we think of Daniel, because that's the story that's recorded, but that may not have only happened to Daniel. These things that happened to men of God may have happened for others as well. We don't know that it did. We don't know that it didn't. God chose to record them. Daniel was lowered into a den of lions and they did not do a thing to him. He was there that whole evening. The Lord shut the mouths of the lions. But in addition to that, verse 34, he quenched the violence of fire. We not only think of Daniel, we think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those three were cast in that fiery furnace so hot that those big burly soldiers that threw them into the furnace, the heat was so great it killed them. And there's old Nebuchadnezzar. He's standing away from the heat of the furnace. He's standing away where he can see that fire burning. But he can also see those three walking around and then there's a fourth one with them. And he says, like unto the Son of God. Someone one time asked, and I like that, the reply that the guy gave me. He says, why were they walking around? He says, they were trying to keep warm. 
And you, you know, it, it's very interesting that although they're not named, we know that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we know that. We know that because this is talking about what God did for them. By faith, God worked in them. Remember the prayer? Remember what they said to Nebuchadnezzar before he threw him in there? Well, if, if so, okay. But our God's able to deliver us from that. Boy, that was great words to say to him because God delivered it and they, he saw it. Do you realize that was in chapter 3? In chapter 4 we read of Nebuchadnezzar's conversion. Daniel's involved there. These three are involved. I wonder if Nebuchadnezzar had those experiences that he remembered that were instrumental even after he was for those seven years walking about as an animal eating the grass when God changed him's countenance as a madman and then brought back for him to see there's only one God and only he is almighty and all great. Yes, he had to learn it the hard way, but he learned it and there was a reason that those things that he went through worked together for good. There's a thing, reason, that all of that that Daniel went through and all of that those three Hebrew children looked at going into the thing, not knowing whether they'd be deliverance or not. They prayed and they just trusted God for whatever. If they're not delivered, He will give them grace for it. And I basically believe that that's what those three Hebrew children were saying to Him. If not, it's all right. God's going to give them the grace for it if they burn up in there. And so they believed God. He goes on to say in verse 35, women received their dead raised to life again. Remember Jesus? Where the lady, the Syrophoenician, my daughter, sick at home, an evil spirit has her. He sent her back home. But it was in faith because she believed that when he said, She's healed. She went back and was healed. We see that in the Old Testament with Elijah, Elisha, where they prayed and people were raised from the dead. It was by faith those things happened. They received their life again. And others, here's the other side of it, were tortured, not accepting deliverance. I think I remember the story, I believe it was of Pliny, who they said, uh, reject your God, reject Christ, and live, or die at this fire, to be burnt, to tied to a stock, and burnt, burnt alive. He said, 80 and six years, he has not, not done me wrong yet. And it's just not the exact words, but he's just saying 80 and six years. He's been true to me. He's been good to me. Why would I deny him now? I believe Pliny had faith. He had faith that God give him the grace for that. Matter of fact, many that were burned at the stake, you hear about them dying, singing the praises of God. 
One man had a prayer that everybody heard at the stake in the 1500s. Lord, open the eyes of the King of England. I'd say God did because in 1600 we found out about the King James Version. God opened the eyes. And much of the work that Coverdale did was used also as a help for those translators that translated to the King James Version. So just think of that. There was a purpose for all of this. And God answered prayers even in the midst of the fires. As Isaiah said, praise ye the Lord in the fires. And so we see there they're not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. That's why Philippians chapter 1 tells us to be with the Lord is far better. Not just better, far better to be with the Lord. It's a better resurrection. Why? Because they remained faithful unto death, and their reception into heaven was far more glorious than the person saved so as by fire. By, instead of the person that was saved, they weren't faithful to God's house. They weren't faithful to serve the Lord. They were worldly in their Christian life. They mocked. They scorned. But they had gotten saved. But these people, their resurrection was far more glorious. Verse 36, and others had cruel mocking and scourging. Yes, mockers. That's the same thing as about as scorners. A little bit different, but a lot of the same. Mockers, scorners, are cruel in God's sight. Now, you're going to mock people. You're going to mock those that are serving the Lord. You're going to scorn those serving the God and, and preaching His Word, singing His Word, and teaching His Word, witnessing His Word. You're going to mock them. You're going to scorn them. Just understand, God, God is going to reward them. And if you're saved, when you're caught up to be with the Lord, you're going to see the higher plane they have than you. As a matter of fact, Jesus told us that would happen in Matthew 5, 10 through 12. People would say all matter of evil against you falsely. Those people may be best friends, family. Don't let it get you down. He says, you endure that, great is your reward in heaven. So be true. Don't sell Jesus to keep peace in the family. Don't put Jesus under your feet to keep peace in the family. Don't step on the Word of God and crush it into the ground to keep peace in your family or with friends. You'll regret that throughout all eternity, even if you're saved, you'll regret that sin. And so, they had trials of cruel mockings and of scourgings. They were beaten with whips. Moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. 
They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. You have what is called rabbinical writings. Rabbis down through the years of the Old Testament wrote things. They're not actually biblical truth in and of themselves. They're not to be regarded as the actual Bible. But there are things that have some historical truth to them in them. There's some things they wrote that has some truth. One of the things that were written by the rabbis was that Isaiah was sawn in half. So that may be referring to him right here. But sawn asunder, whether it was Isaiah, but it doesn't identify him, so we know that others were sawn asunder. And I've said it in here before, but that is one of the hardest things I have in time putting my arm around. I mean, burning the stake is bad. Crucifixion is terrible. I mean, all of those sufferings, lions and all that. But taking a living man and sawing him in half. What was that like? And I just kind of wonder if, if it was Isaiah or one of others of those saints. As Jesus, they said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. You know, I, I, sometimes you don't ever, sometimes things just hit you. Never really thought of it. You can read a passage many times and just miss it. But have you ever thought about that, Father? They know not what they do. These people thought they were the intellectuals. Just think of those that crucified Jesus. Those Jews that said, crucify him, crucify him. Those members of the Sanhedrin. Those priests, those Pharisees, all were calling for his crucifixion. They were so much more intelligent. They were so far above him as far as they were concerned. And there's Jesus. What a slap in the face that was to say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. See, they just couldn't comprehend what they were doing. And yet they thought they were the intellectuals. Yes, they were slain with the sword, it says. But notice this next part. Sometimes this is not thought that much of. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute. I mean, they didn't know where the next day's food was going to come from. They just had to trust God there was going to be food. They were destitute. Afflicted, tormented, but they're in the hall of faith for a reason. And you and I are here today because of men and women that had that faith and endured those things. For the sake of the gospel, even our King James Bible that we'd see out of the Textus Receptus and the Masoretic text translated. The Waldessians hid in caves. In the, they're called the Waldessians because they're in the Waldessian mountains. The leaders of the church had the government soldiers going out trying to find them and put them to death and to stop what they were doing. But they were so careful in doing it. They would make a copy of a copy 
But they would always count down to the middle word and see if it was exact. If it wasn't, they started all over on that page, completely over. They didn't have the equipment we have today. And God used them. And he used them in preserving his word that you and I read today so freely. Why? Because under threat of death, under wondering whether they're going to have their next meal, they just endured and they kept on keeping on for Christ. God enabled them even in martyrdom that people would come to Christ. We hear the stories of the Roman Colosseum, how they would feed these Christians to the lions. Oh, that was a big event like a Super Bowl or something else just to go and sit and watch that. And yet many got converted when they saw the peace that these people had. The joy they had. They're praising the Lord. In it all. And it brought people to Christ when they realized what they had was something they did not have. And yes, even when they were fed to lions, they stayed true. You see, that's why I've been talking about in this, about a thankful person. is a truly thankful person that has a strong, real, personal relationship with God as a Christian. That would do them through all the things of this life. And they would do it by God's might, His strengthening, His authority. You see, my preaching has to be in the authority of Jesus Christ, not in the authority of Andy Bloom. That's the power. That is the power. It's not my power. It's God's power. It's His authority. And He blesses His Word. So mine is to preach His Word and be sensitive to His Holy Spirit as I preach the Word that I may articulate it the way He wants it out there that His Holy Spirit would use it in the hearts of His people to edify them and to convict the lost to bring them to salvation. You and I are here today because they didn't quit. They were heroes of the faith. Thank God for people who had a true relationship with God that stood. See these flags? Surrounding the auditorium, these down here, does remind us of veterans. We're having that Veteran Day service here on Tuesday, even though it's after Veterans Day because of the hurricane that come through. We had to delay it. But, oh, you talk about the veterans we have, and they are brave men and women that went to bat for our country laid their life in many cases on the line for our country, those veterans. Thank God for them. But thank God for these veterans that stood. Our veterans helped preserve a country we have. 
These veterans helped preserve the faith to be passed on to us. Leaving us an example that also we could follow in following Jesus Christ. And so, when we think of this, these veterans, when we think of what the Lord has to say about heaven, what He has to say about the resurrection, these people stood to faith because they believed it. They didn't back down, even at the threat of death, even at persecution, even at scorning and mocking, at rejection by friends and family, they did not back off. Think of the Apostle Paul. Everybody feared him before his salvation. But I tell you what, when he got right with Christ, the same people abandoned him. Now, whose reward do you want if any of those people were saved? Whose reward do you want? I doubt any of them were saved, but if let's just say one of them were actually saved. Do you want their reward? Or do you want Paul's reward in eternity? See, laying up treasure for eternity. See, a lot of people believe more strongly in laying up for retirement here on this earth than they do for laying up for eternal retirement with the Lord. People laid up, laid up for retirement. The day comes they retire and the next day they die in a, a car crash. A lot of good that did them, isn't it? Lay up for eternity for those are dividends that will never, never stop paying. These are people that arrived at the belief that you have to have a daily growing relationship with God in His Word, in His prayer, and you walk through the day always obedient to the Word of God. Governing your life? No. The Holy Spirit being allowed to govern your life, your steps, through the Word of God. Now let me close by just saying this. Again, all these things that I have said mean absolutely nothing to you if you're not saved. Now if you are saved, loss of reward, if you don't understand when the Bible says some will be have confidence and some will be ashamed at His appearing, it's really addressed to Christians, so it's not a chance that they're not going to be saved, that they are saved, that they're going to lose it. But it does the idea of shame, and they have no idea of what the word shame is until they meet that shame. Develop your relationship with Christ as a Christian. But if you're not sure if you died today, then heaven's your home. Oh, I don't want to close this service without saying Are you 100% sure that if you die today that heaven's your home? I'm not asking you, do you, are you a good person? Have you done good works? You feel good about yourself? Can you give a Bible reason why you know beyond any shadow of a doubt 
through faith in that Bible reason that if you died today that heaven's your home. If you can't do that, don't delay another day. Come to Christ tonight. Come to Christ in the invitation that we are about to give. Let's bow our heads, please.